there's a, well, I'm just going to start by telling you about a young lady I used to go visit in a nursing home outside of Texarkana. They called her Granny Black. Granny was 97 years old, and she uh, got along just fine. She carried a walker. She used a walker, and she said, they make me use this because they think I'm going to break. And she would truck down the hall on that walker. I tried to move it from her one time, and it weighed 40 pounds. I mean, almost as much as Sharon's purse. And uh, she got a good aerobic workout with that walker every time she went down the hall. But we'd sit there and we'd visit, and inevitably, somewhere along the way, all of a sudden, she'd just slap my knee and say, Ain't no church never saved nobody. And she's right. No church ever saved a soul. It's not our labels that get us into heaven. It's Jesus Christ. And that's what she would say. She actually said, ain't no church ever saved nobody. She'd say, it's Jesus. Now, she wasn't trying to convince me. She was just really being of one accord with me. And she was a member of our church. I think I might have told you. She had seven sons and uh, just a fantastic lady but uh, and a good witness. And uh, I remember one time, she's the one that told me, here she is, 97 years old, and she would get together and read the Bible with this guy that was 80-something years old. And one time uh, she was reading, they were reading, and it said this thing about uh, if you'd lay hands on the sick that they'd recover. And uh, this gentleman was ill. And she said, you know, we just read in the Bible, if you lay hands on the sick, they'll recover. So would you mind if I lay hands on you and pray for you? And she had, 97 years old, she had never heard anything or seen anything about this. But he said, no, that's okay. So she said, and she's very careful to explain this. So I put my hand on top of his. We did not hold hands. She made that clear. And, and, I, and, we, and we prayed. And then the next week, they got together for prayer. And he was well. And she looked shocked. She said, did you know the devil? Did you know that the, that, that, that the Lord would do that? I, I ain't never heard of that before. And uh, she was just so thrilled that the Lord answered their prayer and that her friend was healed. But the thing that really stuck with me and I was reminded of this morning is we're going to be looking at something today that can cause you to start wanting to put labels on people, on Christians. And as we get into what I'm going to be talking about this morning, I want you to be clear that I'm not talking about or trying to attack any denomination or anything like that. What I'm trying to do is clarify our beliefs. And we started last week looking at eternity. Jesus paid the price for us to spend eternity with him. And there's some things that we need to know about eternity. And last week, uh, we talked about, it's, you have a choice. You have a choice as to where you're going to spend eternity. And you have a choice as to how you're going to spend eternity. But uh, today, we're going to back up a little bit 
And uh, we're going to be looking at some things that come out of theology, but it affects the way that we think. It affects our uh, concern about other people. And we know that Jesus gave us the Great Commission. He told us to go into all the world and make disciples, uh, baptizing them and then teaching them all the things that he taught them. And the purpose of a church, any church, the church, is just two things. Make disciples and then help them to grow in grace in him. That's what church is all about. No matter what sort of denominational label you put on it, no matter what sort of rules that you try to make up, but there's some underlying things, there's been some undercurrents that have been stirring around since the 1500s. And so I want to kind of let you know where uh, we come out on all this stuff. Now, I'm a United Methodist by choice. I, uh, uh, and also by direction, come to think of it. But whenever it, uh, I was, uh, I'm here because the Lord wanted me to be in the United Methodist Church. But when I started looking at our founder, I was just amazed that uh, my uh, beliefs and the, the conclusions I had come to just lined up with John Wesley. And he would roll over in his grave if he could see where some people have had to, had tried to take things and call it Wesleyan. Because a lot of the thing, their things that they're doing now I'll just say, he's used this uh, phrase talking about stuff like this before. It's just the spawn of Satan. I mean, it's just not right. And so uh, he, he didn't mince words. And this is one of those areas where he felt very strongly. See, back in the 1500s, in the early 1500s, there was a theologian named John Calvin. And he came out with uh, uh, a certain... Uh, group of, or collection of, or points, I guess you might say. We're going to be talking about those today, about what the Christian faith is all about. That's in the early 1500s. In the late 1500s, a guy named, another theologian named Arminius came along. And Arminius uh, couldn't buy what John Calvin was saying, and he lined out what he thought things were really like scripturally when it comes to our salvation and our relationship with God and the nature of God and all of that. And uh, we Methodists, John Wesley came out on the Armenian, they call it Armenian. Everybody today normally can, in the Protestant churches, can be lumped as either Calvinist or Armenian. The United Methodists, the Wesleyans, come out Armenian. Not Armenian with an E, like the country, but Armenian with an I, Armenian. And so uh, uh, this is what we're going to be looking at today. And so I want to bounce our beliefs, our basic beliefs about eternity uh, off of John Calvin's tenets. And his tenets can be uh, summed up in the acronym TULIP, T-U-L-I-P. And uh, I want to go through these five tenets that spell out TULIP if you take the first letters of them. And uh, 
just look at what he said about this stuff and what some people actually believe, and I'm not trying to attack their beliefs. Please don't get me wrong on this. We're going to have brothers and sisters in heaven that are Calvinists. We're going to have some that are Arminian. We're going to have some that are something you've never heard of before. But the main thing is, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But you'll see as we go through this, there's a reason why we need to get this straight in our heads. So first, the T in tulip stands for total depravity. And this means that we are so depraved that we have such a fallen nature that we can't even choose Christ. Uh, that God just kind of zaps us and we get saved one day, but that we don't really have the ability to choose Christ. Uh, Methodists disagree with that. Our founder, John Wesley, had a real problem with what he called double predestination because his reasoning was that if some people were predestined to heaven, that meant all the rest of them were predestined to hell. And he just couldn't see that in Scripture. He couldn't see that in the calls that Jesus made to people, in the uh, pleas of, the, of Paul and Peter and the other disciples. He couldn't see that. Neither could Arminius. And so, uh, but his reasoning was that if God predestined some to heaven, then all the rest were going to hell. And uh, we, he just couldn't see a God that would predestine people. And he didn't see that in the Bible. And we don't either. It just doesn't line up with Scripture. We do believe that we're born with a sinful nature. I don't think anybody can deny that. Just just think about that. I mean, how many of you have kids? Let's see your hands if you had kids. Okay. All right. Did any of you have to teach your children to be bad? <laughs> I mean, just think about it. You, we are born with a sinful nature. One of the first things many kids learn how to say is, mine. You know, I mean, we're born self-centered, demanding, all those sorts of things. We're born with a sinful nature. Uh, you know, a lot of people, when they have a child, they baby-proof their homes. They put everything that could be broken up high, any precious family knickknacks, they, uh, they put them out of reach. Sharon and I, we didn't do that. We, instead of child-proofing our homes, we taught our children to behave. And uh, we... Uh, we would start with whenever they would start reaching for stuff that they weren't supposed to touch. Sometimes we'd have to pat their head and say, no, 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 no. But we didn't have to do that much before they would see something they wanted and they would be running toward it yelling, no, 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 no. <laughs> that's just how our nature is, isn't it? I mean, it's, that's the way we start. But uh, God, we loved our kids even when they didn't know how to do the right thing. And that's the way we see God. And John Wesley came up with the term or made it popular of prevenient grace. Before we ever knew him, he already knew us, he loved us, and he was trying to get our attention. And he worked so hard until finally, now some of us he does have to grab by the scruff of the neck and kind of shake us a bit to get our attention. But he... He tries to make, reach us. And, uh, and so that's one of the things. Uh, 
We believe you determine where you spend eternity and that God is a just and merciful God and gives every person a chance to accept Christ. I'd make that even stronger, the opportunity to accept Christ. Whatever belief you have has to be consistent with the nature and character of God and a God that would love us so much, would love the world so much that he'd give his only son uh, to the world to be, and so that we could be saved. That uh, just doesn't make sense. He obviously gives everyone the opportunity, but we do believe that there's a sinful nature and scripture verifies that. It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's the T in TULIP, uh, total depravity. And next up, the U stands for unconditional election. Uh, And this goes hand in hand with total depravity. It's the belief that God chose some to go to heaven and he chooses some, the rest, let's say, to go to hell. As I mentioned earlier, John Wesley had a real problem with this, and I really believe that our Methodist slash Armenian take on uh, this matches up with the Word of God. We believe that God wants everyone to come to Jesus Christ, and it says in Scripture that He's not willing that any should perish, but wants all to come to repentance. There are just too many passages in the Bible that tell us to take the gospel to the whole world. Matthew 24, 14. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to a few select people? No, to the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. John 1, 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming, and this is John the Baptist speaking, and said, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. 2 Peter 3.9 The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. You're included in that any You're included in that all, and so is everybody else on the face of the earth. That's the you. Now then the L, limited atonement. Limited atonement. It basically means that Jesus died only for what they call the elect, only for those that God chose, and uh, some he didn't choose. And so Calvin said that Jesus didn't die for the world. So Calvin is uh, taking uh, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You're in that whosoever, and you're in the world. God loves you. He didn't just pick and choose some of us. We don't have to worry. He loves you. He cares about you. And again, we don't believe in this. What we believe and what we've labeled, what's labeled what we believe is called universal atonement. And that Jesus died for all of us. There are way too many passages in Scripture 
that state that Jesus died for the whole world. Look at Hebrews 7, 27. Who does not need daily like the high priest to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, because he did once, because this he did once for all. And that's what we remember this morning when we take Holy Communion. Once for all, a full and perfect sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. In Hebrews 9, 12, And not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having established eternal redemption. All right, now then we're at the I, T-U-L-I, irresistible grace. The I stands for irresistible grace. In Calvinism, this means that those who are chosen can't resist God's grace. Uh, they'll accept Christ because it's just irresistible. Uh, and we disagree with that. We believe that you can resist God. And this is where it really hits the road that he gave us free will. You see, if you buy into Calvinism, you basically believe that God just created us as automatons uh, without a will and without an ability to choose. And that gets tossed out the window in the Garden of Eden, doesn't it? I mean, the reason we got into all this mess to begin with is because we chose to resist the wonderful love of God. We chose to eat from the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. So, uh, and we went over, and the thing is, we believe you have free will and that God, out of love, respects your choice. Uh, he gave us a will and a choice. And your belief determines where you will spend eternity. And your behavior depends or de determines how you will spend eternity. So this is important. You have a choice. In Acts 7.51, it says, You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hardened ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is God. And so they're resisting God. That Jesus just tells them, you're always resisting God. And you're doing just as your fathers did. And then in Matthew 10, 32 through 33, Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. And then in Revelation 22, 17, last words in the Bible, and the Spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is athirst, come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life. Whosoever will, that's the I. Now then the P, perseverance of saints. This, uh, now, uh, this means that if you're one of the chosen, that you're going to persevere to the end no matter what. We hold that that takes personal responsibility out of it. Again, it takes our choice, our free will away, even after we get saved. Instead of perseverance, 
We believe in the preservation of the saints. And that's different, very different. In other words, that God preserves those whom he loves and who call on his name. In Psalm 31, 23, we read, O love the Lord, all you his godly ones. The Lord preserves the faithful and recompenses the proud doer. Psalm 37, 38. But transgressors will be altogether destroyed. The posterity of the wicked will be cut off. And then, uh, uh, let's see, 97.10. Hate evil, you who love the Lord, who preserves the souls of his godly ones. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. And then here's what Paul has some of the things he said about that. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Who is he that condemns? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Here's the question. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all day long, for we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then he says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.12, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. And we're going to be singing this at the very end of the service today. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. And then here's what Jesus says about this. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me, and I give to them eternal life, and they shall never, ever perish, and not anyone shall pluck them out of my hand. My Father who gave them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Now, there's a list that we see in Romans 8, 28, of all the things that cannot separate us. But we do believe that we have free will, that though nothing, as long as we cling to the Lord, as we stay with him, as we walk with him, no one can take us away from him. But you can walk away anytime you want to. He's a gentleman and he loves you. And it's in this place that he shows really what love really is when you respect someone else's will. And so that's why he says, whosoever will, it's your will. 
and he gave you a will so that we could love and we could choose to love. And so that's where we come out on this. Now, if you really buy into the Calvinistic way of looking at things, why would you bother to share the gospel? Just think about that. Uh, because it doesn't really make any difference. If God already has it all worked out, uh, the people that are going to be saved are going to be saved, and the people that aren't, aren't. So why do you have to do anything? Why would you even want to talk to somebody about Jesus? There's no reason to. And uh, that's one of the great dangers of people buying into Calvinism, is that they're very comfortable in looking around and uh, not telling other people about the Lord. But you see, we have a message, and that message is we have a Savior, and He died for your sins. Whether you accept it or not, He's already died for your sins. We have good news for the world, and it's for everybody. And the good news is that nobody has to go to hell. Calvinists can't say that. We can't. The Bible says that. Nobody can go. Nobody has to go to hell. You have been, your, your, the price for your sins has already been paid. And that's what, that should make witnessing to someone very easy. Because well, all you're doing is give the good news that somebody else has already paid the price. You don't have to worry about your sin. It's taken care of. It's already. No, so you have a choice. That's the good news. You don't have to go to hell. You have a choice. You have a choice as to whether you're going to go to heaven or you're going to go to hell. All you have to do is believe in God. But not just God. Believe that what God did through Jesus on the cross, that Jesus has already died for your sins. And you have to receive that. It's, and now this is something very important that uh, isn't mentioned very much. It's not your sin that keeps you out of heaven. Did you know that? It's not your sin that keeps you out of heaven. It's your unbelief. That's the problem, is unbelief. And uh, uh, anyway, uh, let's see, how do I want to put this? Anyway, in John 3, 16, 17, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever doesn't sin gets to go to heaven? Is that what it says? That's not what it says, is it? And that uh, the, those that, uh, that do sin don't get to go, those that do. Anyway, what it says, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, last week, some of you weren't here. We were talking about you have a choice as to where you're going to spend eternity. The choice is you can receive what Jesus has already done for you, rejoice in it, and spend eternity in heaven. Or you can reject it and spend eternity in hell. And there are going to be some really nice, good people who have willfully rejected Jesus Christ in hell. And there are going to be some people that you're going to be surprised to see in heaven. Let's face it. But the thing that uh, is so important is that you have a choice as to where you're going to spend eternity. And you also have a choice as to how you're going to spend eternity. This is what we talked about last week is there are two judgments. There's the judgment seat of Christ, and then there's the great white throne judgment. And at one, those who have sinned, their works are going to be judged, 
And uh, that will determine the level that they're going to be at in hell. There are degrees in hell. And I'm not just talking about Fahrenheit. I'm talking about levels of punishment in hell. And, the, and then the other judgment is for rewards in heaven. And our works, we will all stand. Believers will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we will be judged on our, by our works. And some of us have chosen to invest in things that are not godly. Even though we've received Jesus as our, as our Savior and Lord, we built on the wrong foundation. And he said that wood, hay, and stubble, that kind of building, earthly things, they're going to go away. That's why he tells us to store up treasure in heaven. And so there are degrees of reward in heaven. Some of us are going to make it by the skin of our teeth and just be glad we got to show up. There'll be others and we will be surprised who winds up being really held up and upheld for their works. It's going to be people that people would have looked down on here. People that, anyway, we won't go into all that. But anyway, that's what we talked about last week. But uh, the thing, this is what we celebrate this morning as we come to the Lord's table is that he has made a way. Every one of your sins that you have ever committed, he paid for it on the cross. Even sins you have not committed yet, he has already paid for on the cross. He's told us to remember that. And that's what we do this morning. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.